0: Part One, Chapter One of Life and Times of Frederick Douglass by Frederick Douglass. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lee Smalley. Part One Life as a Slave. Chapter One Author's Birth in talbot county eastern shore state of maryland near easton the county town there is a small district of country thinly populated and remarkable for nothing that i know of more than for the worn-out sandy desert-like appearance of its soil the general dilapidation of its farms and fences the indigent and spiritless character of its inhabitants and the prevalence of ague and fever it was in this dull flat and unthrifty district or neighborhood bordered by the choptank river among the laziest and muddiest of streams surrounded by a white population of the lowest order indolent and drunken to a proverb and among slaves who in point of ignorance and indolence were fully in accord with their surroundings that i without any fault of my own was born and spent the first years of my childhood the reader must not expect me to say much of my family genealogical trees did not flourish among slaves a person of some consequence in civilized society, sometimes designated as father, was literally unknown to slave law and to slave practice. I never met with a slave in that part of the country who could tell me with any certainty how old he was. Few at that time knew anything of the months of the year or the days of the month. They measured the ages of their children by springtime, winter time, harvest time, planting time, and the like. Masters allowed no questions concerning their ages to be put to them by slaves. Such questions were regarded by the masters as evidence of an impudent curiosity. From certain events, however, the dates of which I have since learned, I suppose myself to have been born in February 1817. My first experience of life, as I now remember it, and I remember it but hazily, began in the family of my grandmother and grandfather, Betsy and Isaac Bailey. They were considered old settlers in the neighborhood, and from certain circumstances I infer that my grandmother especially was held in high esteem, far higher than was the lot of most colored persons in that region. She was a good nurse, and a capable hand at making nets used for catching shad and herring, and was, withal, somewhat famous as a fisherwoman. I have known her to be in the water waist-deep for hours seine-hauling. She was a gardener as well as a fisherwoman, and remarkable for her success in keeping her seedling sweet potatoes through the months of winter, and easily got the reputation of being born to good luck. In planting time, Grandmother Betsy was sent for in all directions simply to place the seedling potatoes in the hills or drills, for superstition had it that her touch was needed to make them grow this reputation was full of advantage to her and her grandchildren for a good crop after her planting for the neighbors brought her a share of the harvest whether because she was too old for field service or because she had so faithfully discharged the duties of her station in early life i know not but she enjoyed the high privilege of living in a cabin separate from the quarters having imposed upon her only the charge of the young children and the burden of her own support she esteemed it great good fortune to live so, and took much comfort in having the children. The practice of separating mothers from their children and hiring them out at distances too great to admit of their meeting, save at long intervals, was a marked feature of the cruelty and barbarity of the slave system. But it was in harmony with the grand aim of that system, which always and everywhere sought to reduce man to the level with the brute it had no interest in recognizing or preserving any of the ties that bind families together or to their homes. My grandmother's five daughters were hired out in this way, and my only recollections of my own mother are of a few hasty visits made in the night on foot, after the daily tasks were over, and when she was under the necessity of returning in time to respond to the driver's call to the field in the early morning. These little glimpses of my mother, obtained under such circumstances, and against such odds, meagre as they were, are ineffaceably stamped upon my memory. She was tall and finely proportioned, of dark glossy complexion, with regular features, and amongst the slaves was remarkably sedate and dignified. There is, in Pritchard's Natural History of Man, the head of a figure, on page 157, the features of which so resemble my mother that I often recur to it with something of the feelings which I suppose others experience when looking upon the likenesses of their own dear departed ones. Of my father I know nothing. Slavery had no recognition of fathers, as none of families. That the mother was a slave was enough for its deadly purpose. By its law the child followed the condition of its mother. The father might be a free man and the child a slave. The father might be a white man, glorying in the purity of his Anglo-Saxon blood, and the child ranked with the blackest slaves. Father he might be, and not be husband, and could sell his own child without incurring reproach, if in its veins coursed one drop of African blood. End of chapter 1